The following is a production of Entertainment Rating Services. Son, you know your father was a rigger, a rigger was he. Son, the shoes you have to fill are bigger, as big as can be. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Shackles, Burlap, and Lies. I'm your host, Ethan Gilson, and this is episode 10. Today, we have a, uh, a special guest, I should say. She is not a rigger. However, she does a lot of work with riggers and to support riggers and actually everybody in the entertainment industry. Today, we have Lori Rubenstein, who is the executive director of the Behind the Scenes Charitable if I say it correctly, it is Behind the Scenes Foundation. How are you doing today, Lori? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So for our listeners who don't know what Behind the Scenes is, it is a charitable organization that is dedicated to assisting those who work in the, I'll use the term, live event industry. There are a lot of services that Behind the Scenes makes available to us. And I thought it would be a good idea to have Lori on today to talk about some of the programs that they run. So I am going to ask the first question that I ask everyone, which is, who are you? Uh, thanks. And I will actually answer that. But before I do, I want to correct one thing in what you said, which was that behind the scenes was there to support the people in the live event industry. We are actually there to support all entertainment technology professionals. We do a lot of work with people who work in the television and motion picture production industry and broadcast, etc. So we cover uh, everyone across the board, as we say, whether they work behind the curtain, behind the camera, on the road, or for all of the companies who manufacture and supply entertainment technology products and services. You think I would know better since I lived with a TV guy for two years in college that I'd be sensitive to them, but thank you. You're welcome. Um, oh, I've been in the industry a long time. Um, I started out uh, originally as a ballet dancer and uh, retired pretty quickly because of injuries. And I started working uh, actually originally for a theater consultant and then went to work for a theatrical lighting supply company out in California and uh, worked there for quite a long time. And while I was working there, I did a lot of lighting design and stage management, um, particularly lighting design for dance and um, stage management. I stage managed San Diego Symphony for about 10 years off and on and, and other groups like that. Um, while I was working at San Diego Stage and Lighting, uh, a gentleman named Glenn Becker from Grand Stage Company approached uh, us about getting involved. He was interested in starting a trade association of companies that supplied entertainment technology products and services. And we got very involved. My, the owner of my company was um, very much in favor of it and allowed me to, to get involved and uh, was involved in the first formation meeting of what was then called the Theatrical Dealers Association and eventually became the Entertainment Services and Technology Association. And in uh, 1990, I moved to New York to be with my um, soon-to-be husband, John McGraw, who was the owner of Production Arts Lighting. I became the first employee of 
the trade association, eventually becoming its executive director. Uh, along the way, I also uh, worked for a while for Roscoe. And um, I was the, with ESTA, TDA, then ESTA, for almost 30 years until I retired in uh, December of 1998. Um, uh, no, that's not right. Um, two th- uh, 2018. Sorry, December of 2018. Yeah, what's 20 years between? <laughs> December of 2018. So while with ESTA uh, oversaw the creation of the Technical Standards Program and the Entertainment Technician Certification Program, uh, we also uh, launched uh, ICOPPER, the International Code of Practice for Entertainment Rigging. I was uh, uh, served as the administrator for that small group of authors who wrote that and have been uh, heavily involved with the organizations that have been translating it into a variety of languages around the world. Uh, and also uh, have been one uh, and continue to be one of the organizers of the New World Rigging Symposium. Uh, we, The ESTA Board of Directors uh, founded the Behind the Scenes Foundation uh, in 2005, and so I essentially ran both organizations until my retirement, at which point I then uh, moved over to working full-time on the Behind the Scenes Foundation. And that's where you find me today. So one of the things that uh, Behind the Scenes has done in a branding effort is they use the image of a ghost light from a stage as their logo. And I'm sure if people have spent any amount of time at any of the different uh, trade shows or conferences, they'll have seen some of the behind the scenes ghost lights and they have different items that you can purchase to support the organization that represent that ghost light. So it could be a LED gooseneck USB light that you can plug into your computer. I'm actually sitting here looking at a, uh, a Lexan etched ghost light with an LED base that can change colors, as well as a whole bunch of other things. Those are the ones that I, I think of off the top of my head. You can actually buy, and correct me if I'm wrong, Altman has developed a actual ghost light that you can purchase that is a rolling base vertical with the purple cage and light bulb that you can use on your stage. Is that correct? It is correct. It's actually been available through Altman Rentals up till now, but I believe that's in the process of changing and it it may be uh, Altman Lighting that will be, we're in the process of trying to figure that out uh, with Altman Lighting's move to Denver and Altman's rental, uh, Rentals uh, moving their facilities right. as well. We're figuring all that out. By the way, for the listeners, if you don't know, Altman's moving. They're leaving New York and moving to the Rockies. Um, so you mentioned that uh, behind the scenes started in 2005, which I was able to check off my one question of when did it start? <laughs> How did it start? What was the thought behind creating the behind the scenes charity? Well, initially, we created it for two reasons. One is we always had the charitable aspect in mind, feeling that there wasn't anything that really served our direct industry with a focus on that. But uh, initially, it also had an educational focus as well. And um, there was some work on a program uh, for, for quite a few years that eventually was transferred to USITT. And uh, 
we realized as as we got into you know a number of years passing that there was a great need for the charity more i mean requests started really before we'd even started fundraising um and the foundation board eventually came to the decision that it wanted to focus all of its efforts on the charitable aspect rather than the educational um that that was really better handled by other organizations and so uh, we we did that, and we have since focused uh, entirely uh, on the charitable aspects. And obviously, starting a uh, a foundation like this is not a inexpensive uh, proposition. Who were some of the the players, to use the term, that were involved in in the initial funding of the uh, foundation? Well, there really were some industry companies that stepped up um, in a big way and lots of individuals. Um, and now we're going back a long time. So uh, I, I know that I'm going to risk forgetting people. Um, you know, ETC was a very early supporter. Fred Foster just got behind us from the very beginning. And and they have been so incredibly generous. And Fred also influenced other people who, you know, asked, went to him and said, should we support this organization? And he said, yes, absolutely. Um, and that has meant so much to us over the years uh, in, in so many different ways. Uh, you know, Rosebrand has been a, a, a big supporter over many, many, many years. Um, Altman Lighting initially, uh, lots of, lots and lots of individuals, um, have supported us. We've just, it's been a real grassroots effort. You know, we, behind the scenes doesn't assist performers. And as a result, we can't draw on star, star power to raise funds for us. And so it's, uh, it's really, truly grassroots. It's by the industry of the industry for the industry. Absolutely. And it, again, if you do happen to travel to LDI or NAM or USITT. Those are the, the, the big trade shows that you'll find us folk at. Uh, you can often find a, rep- a representative of behind the scenes there. And a lot of the times it's uh, selling merchandise to help raise funds. Yeah, we do, you know, at USITT for many, many, many years, we've done raffles very inexpensive price because we wanted to introduce the students uh, to the charity and they've been very generous and it's become a really big event every year, the the USITT raffle. And we've educated, I think, many generations of, of students uh, about the charity, which has really been great. Um, you know, one of the big supporters, um, and and you've seen it most at, at uh, some of the trade shows, has been the Light Power Collection. Uh, and they, they and Neil Preston have, uh, graced us with Neil's wonderful rock and roll photography. He's considered one of the greats of rock and roll photography. And they made a decision many years ago that, uh, they would, uh, take profits from, uh, sales of Neil's prints, uh, and donate them to the charity. And they've done shows all over the world and including at, uh, NAM and LDI, uh, and USITT, where they've uh, displayed uh, Neil's pictures in our our booth, bringing lots of joy to lots of people uh, who you know are fans of the artists, and raising money for the charity. 
Yeah, and I think one thing for for the listeners to to recognize is try to think of an iconic image of a musician from the the 60s through the 80s and chances are that photo was Neil. His work is prolific within the industry and if you have an opportunity to look at any of his published works, the books, I highly recommend it or or more so purchase one that helps fund behind the scenes. <laughs> so initially when behind the scenes started, was there a specific uh, assistance that the organization was trying to help with? Was there a specific need of people within the industry? Because obviously it wasn't a, oh, we're just going to provide financial aid to everyone who works you know, sure. behind the scenes, no matter what it is. Yeah, absolutely. And it's still our core mission today, which is to provide financial assistance to entertainment technology professionals who are seriously ill or injured. And we also assist if they have an immediate dependent family member, such as a spouse, a partner, or a dependent child who's seriously ill or injured, because we know that uh, takes a big toll on the family as well. And the idea was when someone became ill or injured to help them you know, bridge the gap to pay their basic living expenses, such as rent or mortgage or utilities or transportation or medical expenses. We've done everything from medications to doctor's visits, rehabs. We've helped buy wheelchairs um, and, you know, give them a bridge, give them some assistance because everyone knows, you know, so many people in our industry live uh, gig to gig, paycheck to paycheck. And when something hits unexpectedly, it can leave people in, in very difficult circumstances. And we wanted to try to help ease those circumstances. And so that was our mission from day one, and it continues to be our core mission. I'll uh, provide the link in the show notes for behind the scenes, but on the website, you can actually look and see some uh, videos that were done from grant recipients in the past talking about what their situation was that they needed assistance and and how they were able to obtain that assistance through uh, behind the scenes. In more recent times, maybe two years ago, I, I don't know the exact start point. Behind the scenes added a topic to its umbrella of of things that it would assist on, and that was mental health. I think a lot of people started recognizing that mental health was a, a very large issue within the industry and continuing to grow, and that we needed to be more proactive in addressing uh, mental health for those who work in the industry. And now. With the pandemic, we find that uh, a lot of people are out of work, sitting at home for the first time in many years, and are struggling with their own mental health, whether it be new depression from that they're not working, they're not seeing people, or the financial strain. Can you talk about the, the, the mental health component that has been developed for behind the scenes and the resources available to the industry? Sure, absolutely. It actually started, oh, I guess about three years ago now, we had an individual approach us and say, we need to do something to help people reach out for assistance, for be able to go into therapy, be able to go into rehab. Um, 
as as early as possible before things become a, a crisis. This was an individual in the industry who had just gotten tired of losing friends to suicide and to uh, overdoses. Uh, and she wanted to introduce a way for people to reach out and receive some financial assistance with the cost of getting help, of getting therapy, of getting uh, going into rehab or outpatient rehab. And so we created the Behind the Scenes Counseling Fund, and we simplified the application process for that because we didn't want to make you know, any barriers to, to getting help. Um, the criteria is the same as, as for the regular grants, which was the individual must have earned their living in the industry for at least five years. And the counseling grants are only available to entertainment technology professionals. But uh, then they're available for, it must be a licensed mental health care provider or rehabilitation provider. Um, the money, as with the regular grants, are paid directly to the to the vendor, if you will. So in this case, to the therapist or the psychiatrist. Um, but it's a simplified process. And we instituted that uh, new fund called the Counseling Fund about three years ago, I think. And then it seemed like, you know, every conversation I had with someone in the industry always came around to the subject of mental health and how more needed to be done. And I think one of the things that really drove home to us, um, the fact that there weren't a lot of resources directed at our industry, I heard a lecture given by Dr. John Draper, who is the executive director of the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. And I thought his talk was really wonderful because he not only talked about what the steps are that you should take if you're concerned about someone, but he actually gave you examples of them, real examples you could really use. And as soon as he was done speaking, I went up to him and I said, would you consider coming and talking to a bunch of riggers? Because at that time, we were in the middle of organizing the next New World Rigging Symposium. And I said, it's not going to be a huge number of people in the room, a couple hundred. I said, but each one of those people often, you know, they'll manage crews or have employees of anywhere from a few people to thousands of people. And he said, actually, he said, the entertainment industry is one that we're really looking to reach because it turns out that the U.S. government in its statistics, it lumps entertainment, sports and media together. And as those combined industries, it has the highest rate of suicide for women and the second highest for men, which really shocked us. And so John came and he spoke at the Rigging Symposium, and it was extremely well received. Uh, he, he really got a lot of the audience members to open up about issues that they were feeling. And in pr prepping for those calls, uh, Bill Sapsis, Eddie Raymond, and I had a number of calls with uh, Dr. Draper leading up to it to give him information about our particular industry. And one day he sent us a copy of his PowerPoint slides and he said, okay, list your industry specific resources here so I can include them. And we went, uh, there aren't any really. And so in talking further with him, we said, we'd really like to begin to develop some. Is this something you can help us with? And he said, absolutely. They have done it for a number of industries. 
um, including some very high profile ones like the NFL and the NBA, as well as uh, industries close to ours, like the construction industry. And so we began uh, to, the next step was really to assemble a group um, to begin working on this. And so uh, just over a year ago, really in August of uh, 2019, we began to put together um, a steering committee of a combination of industry professionals, um, organizations, um, IATSE, and uh, mental health care professionals to begin to formulate a mental health and suicide prevention initiative for the industry. And uh, we really have been extremely fortunate in who's joined us. Um, We have Pat White, the Director of Education and Training from IATSE, along with a a business agent for one of the Canadian locals, Uh, Shelly Beebe. We have a number of people who are health and safety specialists, Greg Petruska and Adam Tackett from NBC Universal. We have representatives of the Actors Fund and of Music Cares and of uh, the Will Rogers Foundation and uh, many more people uh, who are uh, all extremely committed to this and have put in countless hours working on the initiative. But the very first thing we realized we needed to do was to hear from the industry what the issues were. And stop me, Ethan, because I can go on and on about this. It's fine. One of the things that um, I was fortunate enough to attend last year's, not the 2019 New World Ring Symposium, and saw Dr. Draper speak. And he did an amazing job articulating a lot of his concerns within the entertainment industry. And, and it was, it was eye opening because I think he called attention to a lot of things that we see in the industry, but don't recognize mm-hmm. as being issues. Absolutely. It also made me think of uh, Jim Digby, the president of the event safety Alliance and his story. Uh, this is a very personal subject for him because for those who are not Lincoln Park fans, uh, Jim Digby is the production manager, the tour manager, production manager for Lincoln Park, and has been for a very long time. And he was very close friends with Chester, who was the lead singer, who unfortunately took his own life a few years ago. And one of the things that Jim talks about is he, he'll show a picture of Chester with his wife and his two kids with a very, very big smile on his face. And if I recall, the picture is them near a beach or something. So they're on a board or something. It looks like a great outing and a nice family day. And he says this was the day before he killed himself and that he spent more time with Chester than he spent with his own family. And he had no idea about what was going on in his head and that he afterwards survivor's guilt to say was What tools did I have available to me to be able to identify what was going on? How could I have done something differently? And I think that's one of the things that a lot of people who unfortunately have shared that experience is we didn't see this coming. How could we have been better prepared? How could we have recognized things? And that's one of the things that this mental health initiative is trying to do is provide people with the tools. And I often in the podcast talk about 
having tools in your toolbox. And they may not be ones that you use all the time, but when you need them, they're there. And this is that same idea, which is how do we educate the industry about recognizing, I'm very careful to say, the symptoms because it's a very complex situation, but how do we recognize it? How do we change the culture of, oh, just, you know, suck it up and and deal with it versus actually addressing the causes of the issues? Absolutely. Was I started to say one of the, the very first thing we did was a survey of the industry and we got an absolutely overwhelming response from all segments of the industry. And in particular, most of the survey was multiple choice, but we thought, well, let's throw in an open-ended question at the end. And we just said, is there anything else you'd like to tell us? And almost a thousand people filled that in. And it was pretty overwhelming reading all of those responses. But what uh, I needed to put it into a format that my steering committee could digest and and use as a a plan moving forward. So as I was trying to do that, to to see if there were themes that emerged, there were indeed quite a few themes that emerged. And we have used that to guide us as we've taken our first steps. Um, We did some uh, focus groups to do some deeper dives into some of those uh, areas, and uh, that's really guided our our actions. And you know, the the pandemic I think speeded up our launching some of the programs because we wanted to make sure that it was out there for people who were going through such a complete shock of all of a sudden being out of work and not knowing when their next job would come along. And so. Um, But to tie into what you were just talking about, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. I'll get into the current uh, tools in the toolbox, and that's exactly how we refer to them as well. But one of the ones coming down the road in just the next couple of weeks is we've joined a campaign that is run by the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline called Be the One Two, and it's all about suicide prevention. There are essentially five action steps if you are concerned about someone who you think might be at risk for suicide. And we've created actually two posters. One is called Know the Warning Signs, and the other one is Be the One Too. And we are going to make these available on our website in a variety of sizes so they can you know, go onto a call board or a big bulletin board, whatever. They'll be available in a letter size and a legal and a tabloid. Um, They are a very, very simple design. Uh, We wanted them to print out and look okay on a, you know, a cheap printer in a production office or a home printer, wherever. We didn't want anything fancy. Um, And they'll be available in English, Spanish, and French. And there will be a, a companion piece. So the five steps are ask, keep them safe, be there help them connect and follow up. But what do those really mean? So there's a companion piece that will be available either as a PowerPoint presentation or as a PDF that goes into more detail. What does ask look like? What does it sound like? How do you ask? That's gotta be very uncomfortable. But one of the things we learned from the survey was people really did want to step in and assist someone they thought was in distress but they didn't know how to. They were afraid they were going to make it worse. They didn't know right. what to say. They didn't know what to do. 
And so we think if these two posters are widely circulated, first of all, know the warning signs. The more people see that, the more familiar they will be with those warning signs. If, you know, if it's up on every call board they see, the more familiar they'll be and the, the quicker they'll be to recognize them. And if the five steps are there, the more people see them, the more they'll sort of, you know, the ingrained they will be. And, and then they'll be capable of taking those steps if they're worried about someone. So it's really important to just increase people's awareness and, and have them be comfortable with what the signs are and what steps to take. Uh, so we're just finalizing that material right now, and uh, I'm hoping to have it up within a couple of weeks uh, on our website. And there were a number of other things that came out of the survey. One of the things we, we heard loud and clear was how difficult it was for people to find therapists who understood anything at all about the industry. People were just tired of having to educate a therapist or having therapists make recommendations that were just completely unrealistic given the job demands. Take a right. day off, take a mental health day off, or take an hour in the middle of the afternoon and go for a walk. You know, those things just don't cut it. So we were able to hook up with a small nonprofit organization called Help Pro, which has run an online finder, therapist finder for about 25 years. And they have allowed us to create a custom finder. First of all, we were able to go in and review all the questions asked of therapists and make some changes to that to make sure that we asked the questions that would be important to people in the industry. But also we were able to set the criteria for who could be listed in the finder. And, and we made it very simple. We said, we either want people who have already seen people in the entertainment industry. So they've already been educated by those clients. They already have a sense of what life is like or individuals who previously had worked professionally in the industry themselves. And we've learned there are a lot of those people who have moved from the entertainment industry to becoming therapists to the mental health care field. Um, so whenever you go in and do a search in this, you know automatically that the names are coming up are people who are familiar to some extent, with what you do for a living. You don't have to start off educating them. And there are very simple, there's a very simple search based on about six fields, um, you know, where they are in relation to you uh, geographically, what kind of insurance they take, et cetera. And then there's a more advanced search that includes, you know, what their special specialties are, what type of therapy they practice, maybe what credentials they have. Um, and the one thing I'm, telling people, because this is one of the services we launched, you know, perhaps a little bit earlier than we had planned, is that if you don't find someone who meets your initial search criteria, expand that. Uh, if it's a matter of geographic distance, remember that almost all therapy right now is being done as teletherapy. So it doesn't matter where the therapist is as long as they're licensed in your state. So expand that geographic search. Uh, additionally, uh, we know there's a big problem with not enough therapists being covered under insurance plans. And that's something that's going to be a much more difficult and much more longer term change. But I will say that I've spent a lot of time on therapist websites over the last month or so, and almost all of them have a pop-up that comes up saying they'll, they will work with people on a sliding scale. 
because of the pandemic. So I urge people to, you know, go in and look at some of those therapist sites. And also we are adding new therapists every day uh, to the finder. We are actively doing reach out to therapists all over the country to let them know about the finder. So, you know, if you don't find someone in your immediate area and you want someone close by, keep checking back. I I will say this from personal experience, which is, if you feel that you need to speak with a therapist and you're deterred because you don't have insurance and there's a financial barrier, reach out to the therapist. I think of any people within the medical field, therapists are acutely aware of the fact that it is more important to address the patient in front of them properly than to make sure they're going to get paid. And I think that doesn't get stressed enough that Mental health, your health in general, whether it's mental or physical, should never be put on the back burner because of financial reasons. You have to treat your whole body. You have to do it as soon as you know there are issues because it's the only one you have. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mental health, especially now, is, is every bit as important as your physical health, as your financial health. And, you know, one of the ways to check in on that is we have an online self-assessment tool. People are experiencing a lot of emotions, a lot of feelings, a lot of thoughts right now that maybe they haven't had before. And you sort of wonder, do I need to be worried? Is this normal? You know, what am I going through? And these are online behavioral health screenings. They're completely private, completely anonymous, uh, online, easily accessible, very quick to complete they're really a tool to check in on your behavioral health, on your mental health. And you can go, there are nine different assessments to choose from. There's a couple of wide ranging ones, but if you want to focus in on anxiety or depression, or maybe an eating disorder or alcohol misuse or substance misuse, you can do that. And you answer a simple series of questions. And at the end, it's going to say either you're doing pretty well, or yeah, maybe you are suffering from anxiety. Here's some information about anxiety. Very common. Lots and lots of people deal with it. And here's some basic information. And then it'll lead you to resources. And the committee, as we were researching resources, we we quickly realized that any internet search can become overwhelming very quickly, especially if you're not in a good place, if you're distressed in some way. And so we compiled resources in what we hope is a very easily navigable site where they are grouped. So you have your 24-7, 365 hotlines, you have uh, your resources for anxiety or depression, for substance misuse, for eating disorders, et cetera. And those are available in uh, for both the U.S. and for Canada. And it's just a simple way. There's a brief description about uh, what they do, each site does. And there's also uh, some icons that let you know if that site offers good educational material on whatever the subject is. And also if they offer training, sort of skills building uh, to deal with what it, whatever it is. Um, so, And we're constantly reassessing and adding to those. But we hope it just helps people navigate the the sort of minefield out there of of overwhelming uh, resources. Right. I'll mention now that uh, the webpage for Behind the Scenes is behindthescenescharity.org. And you can click on the mental health 
tab and it brings up very quickly the mental health and suicide prevention initiative. And there are nice big buttons that you can click on. It's very easy to navigate and there's a lot of good information there. And as Laurie had mentioned, it's all new. So it's constantly being updated and changing as, as the uh, initiative is being developed, but it's a very user-friendly uh, interface. Thank you. Yeah, we, we tried to uh, very hard to, to keep it that way. Um, we wanted people to be able to get in, get the information they need uh, without struggling for it. There's one other uh, current program up and running that I'd love to talk about, if that's Absolutely. Okay. Yes. Um, and it's called Be Seen, Be Heard. And this is a peer-to-peer chat app. And what we realized and heard from people is how difficult it can be to talk to those closest to you, whether family or friends. Sometimes it's really tough to talk to someone very close to you. It's almost easier to talk to a stranger, but you need to talk to someone who understands what you do for a living because they are going to understand the pressures, the stressors, the challenges of working in this industry. So we wanted to create a way for people to be able to talk anonymously about what's what's bothering them, what their issues are. So this is an online peer-to-peer chat app. You can be completely anonymous. You set your username, doesn't matter. All you need to register is an email address that's stored somewhere else completely. It's not associated with your username at all. And so you can really be as anonymous as you want, or you can identify yourself, whichever you would like. But the idea is, you know, when you're working during normal times, maybe you're on tour, you get home at one in the morning, get back to your hotel room, and you're sort of troubled. You can't sleep, and you really want to talk to someone, but you don't want to call and wake anyone up. You're not going to wake your therapist up at one in the morning. Who do you talk to? And the idea is to create an online community of people who are essentially always there if the community gets large enough and who can, who can understand what you're dealing with. And, you know, we're encouraging even for people who say that they're doing really well, great, join the community too, because the people who aren't need someone who will listen to them and support them. So, you know, get on and be that listener, be that supporter, help someone through a difficult time. Um, it's just a great way to sort of unload what's on your mind and, and find some understanding and some support in the community. I think that particular tool is going to be something that will be of great help for people. Um, I think the example you you suggest of getting back to your room, whether it's home or the hotel, and having someone you can talk to without the fear of being judged. I think that's what stops a lot of people from talking with their friends uh, is that fear of being judged about what you're feeling and that... Um, I think one of the things for people who are not struggling with mental health issues fail to recognize uh, when they interact with people who are dealing with issues is a lot of the time, and it's it's not malicious, but you you don't want your friend to feel bad. So what you try to do is to give them factual points to rely on to say what you're feeling isn't justified, correct, accurate. And I'm using those words specifically because that's often how the person who's dealing with the issues feels they're being communicated to, that what they are feeling is wrong. 
it is not correct. And that can create a situation where they say, you know what? I'm just not going to talk with people because I'm sick of being told that I'm wrong. And it just compounds the issue. So that ability to talk to someone anonymously without the fear of being judged or told what you're feeling is not correct or you're being silly is a, a very broad brush to paint with. But, oh, you're being silly or, or you know, your reaction is not reasonable, mm-hmm. uh, is counterproductive. No, absolutely. And, you know, sort of tangential to that is um, when you touched on this earlier, Ethan, one of the other things that was a theme that came out of the uh, the survey, a really strong theme, was the prevalence of bullying and harassment in the industry. And you mentioned it before, just man up, just, you know, I worked 24 hours yesterday, you should be able to work 24 hours. And, you know, what do you mean you want to take time off to go see a medical doctor, let alone a therapist? Um, there's still a huge stigma uh, about it. And so one of the things that the committee, steering committee is working on right now is uh, some work to do with bullying and harassment, trying to get some information out there for people, um, you know, what it is, uh, you know, and, and a lot of times people don't realize that they're doing that, you know, so maybe it's not even intended, but it can, it can certainly be taken as harassment. So educating people on, on what bullying and harassment is, uh, educating those who have suffered from it, how to, to deal with it, what tools they have, uh, to deal with it, to fight back, etc., And just trying to, um, bring more information uh, about the subject uh, because it's, it turns out it's still a really big problem in our industry, unfortunately. And it's not necessarily uh, intentional bullying all the time either. It may be unintentional. It may be the decision maker, the person in charge of a particular event uh, feeling the pressure that doors are opening or feeling the pressure that they're hitting a budget constraint and that their stress level is going up. And so now they start to lean on the rest of their crew to help reach that goal, which they're stressing about. And they don't recognize that they are in turn bullying their crew into doing things that may not be reasonable. Absolutely. Um, and it, with the Event Safety Alliance, quite often we throw around the the show must go on. And what we're trying to do with the Event Safety Alliance is change the mindset to the show must go on safely. Yes. And that's not just a nothing falls or no one trips, but people, uh, their mental health is looked after as well, that people get to go home and feel good about the day's work that they've done that the art which they helped create was successful and helped a lot of other people forget about their uh, trials and tribulations, which is why they're going to a concert or a movie or watching TV or whatever they're doing is to be entertained and to have a good time and feel good about uh, what they're doing and, and what's going on. So one of the questions I want to ask, and you've kind of touched on this, with rigors, I'll ask them, a lot of times, what do you think the biggest change within the industry needs to be? What what do we need to improve on? Or what is the biggest challenge within the industry? For you, I would rephrase it outside of the financial needs, because obviously it 
it takes resources to provide services. Besides that, what do you think is the biggest challenge behind the scenes faces in terms of achieving their goal, supporting the industry? Well, I think in terms of the mental health initiative, it's certainly uh, the biggest challenge is, I think really two things. Um, The biggest one is the stigma uh, surrounding mental health. And uh, we need to break down that stigma. We need to get rid of it. We need people to be able to speak out openly about uh, their mental health needs and to have an industry that's responsive to that. Uh, and there's a lot of work. I mean, that's a, you know, it's changing generations of, of prejudice, if you will. Um, so that's really critical. Um, there was one overriding theme that surfaced in the survey comments. And this is something also for the entire industry, the, the single biggest, um, detriment to people's mental health was the number of hours people were expected to work. It left them no time to take care of their physical or mental health. It left them no time to be with family or friends, no work-life balance. People were so stressed uh, because of the work situation, the number of hours, the pressure, uh, it's a big, big issue, um, but it it will take a you know a universal desire to change that. And as we all know, finances play a big part of that. You know, how Absolutely. do you convince a, a movie shoot to shoot on a more humane schedule? Uh, how do you convince a tour to you know not work people twenty hours a day every day? Kind of thing. And we, we talked uh, in a previous episode about um, we've almost built the industry to incentivize people to compromise their mental health for the payday. We pay people overtime after, and, and it's not every market, but I'll speak for the New England market. Most companies will pay overtime if your call is extends beyond midnight and depending on the company, 6 a.m., 7 a.m., whatever. Um, Because the thought is, okay, we know we're asking you to work when you're normally sleeping, so it's additional compensation. But what most people end up doing is they work the load-in from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m., and they come back at 10 p.m. and work a four- or five-hour loadout um, because they want to earn more money. They want to earn the overtime. And so we've created this culture where we're, rewarding people for exposing themselves to greater mental risk. Absolutely. Um, mental and physical risk. Right. Obviously with the tiredness comes the physical risk as well. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about the, the application process to say sure. how people uh, for any of the services that behind the scenes does, whether it's the mental health or the uh, financial support because of an injury, um, how do they apply and I know this question comes up. I don't want people to be deterred by the answer, 
But what is, you know, what are some of the examples of the financial range of assistance people can get? Because I think one of the things people who find themselves in need of financial assistance get very focused on the end number. I need X to be able to get out of this situation. And quite often the answer is a uh, multiple sources assisting to get to that goal. It's not one thing solves the financial burden. Um, But I do want to give people information about what they might expect if they apply and they need assistance, what a realistic uh, amount of support they might see is. Well, you're right in that um, there are people who come and they are so far in debt that there's really not much we can do. Um, You know, it would be a drop in the bucket. One of the things we encourage people to do is come sooner rather than later, come for assistance. And we know it's hard for people in this industry to do that. Look, you know, people in this industry are used to solving everyone else's problems. They're used to taking care of everything. And so to ask for assistance is, is very difficult. But it's, it's really important that they reach out sooner. Um, you know, if, if you, a lot of times things are unexpected, sometimes they are expected. If you know that you're going to be going in for surgery and you're going to be off work, maybe you're getting a knee redone, or maybe you're going to have cancer surgery and you're going to be off work, come to us and get things lined up, you know, and, and let us know. We always say, what do you need help with? Give us your list. And then our committee will review it and, and, put the money towards what they think will really be of the most help. Obviously keeping someone in their home, keeping lights and heat turned on are real priorities, making sure someone has medication. Um, Each grant is looked at individually. It really truly is. The committee meets and does extensive research for each grant. The application process is not uh, simple. It is, um, there's a, a fairly lengthy application that asks for a lot of very personal information because we have to make sure that we're using our donors' money wisely. Um, the application is available for download. Uh, there are actually three different applications available on the website. One is what we call our basic needs application, and that's for someone who is ill or injured and needs assistance with basic living or medical expenses. There is a a funeral assistance application. So for someone who's passed away uh, and and there's some assistance needed with the funeral, that's a very minimal uh, grant. Um, It's not going to pay for a big fancy funeral, but it it might help a little bit. Um, And uh, there's the counseling fund uh, grant. So all of those applications are available on the website. The criteria are listed there. As I said, they're pretty simple. You have to, to uh, reside in either the U.S. or Canada, and you have to have earned your living in the industry for at least five years. Um, once your application is submitted with, uh, as long as the complete paperwork is there, uh, our committee can usually make a decision within two to three days at the most, generally, um, unless you catch it over a particular holiday or something. And then we can issue the the grants immediately. Uh, All grants are what we call vendorized. So we pay the landlord or the utility company or the doctor. Um, That's the way all the uh, organizations that service the entertainment industry, Actors Fund and Music Cares and Motion Picture and Television Fund, everyone does that. Um, 
in normal times. Uh, some have changed policies a little bit during the COVID um, when they're doing assistance for out of work, but for for typical grants, uh, you always uh, vendorize the check. But as I say, the decision can be made very quickly. Um, but we get a lot of people who wait until the day before they're going to be evicted to come to us to ask for assistance. That's too late, right? We can't we can't move that quickly. We can move really fast. We can't move that quickly. And generally, by then, someone is so far in debt that we can't uh, assist. Anyone who's who knows that they're going to be, you know, going on disability or workers' compensation, there's always a delay in those things kicking in. So don't wait. Come to us. Let us be the bridge until that kicks in. Let us help right. you out with a month's rent or, you know, that kind of thing, uh, a car payment, whatever it might be, until your disability and until your uh, or until your workers' compensation kick in. Um, standard, everyone should know the sort of standard thing seems to be for disability, everyone is turned down the first time around, and then you have to appeal. So you can't count on submitting your application and getting it, you know, accepted within a few weeks. It almost never happens that way. Right. And unfortunately, I think a lot of people in the industry have become too familiar with the unemployment process and how arduous that can be and how long it can be. And yes, they do give you money starting, you know, they backdate it. So you will get money. But um, if you have bills and you have necessities that need to happen immediately when there's no income coming in while you're waiting for that process to happen, that just increases the the stress of the situation. Absolutely. And all the entertainment industry charities do work together uh, where we have overlap. So if we get someone that we think is appropriate for one of the other ones, we'll do the referral. So as you, you talked about assistance from multiple sources, you know, as long as an individual meets the criteria, each of the, of the organizations, each of the charities has its own criteria. So, you know, some will meet some and not others. Um, and we do try to all work together to provide as much assistance, but everyone is limited in how much they can provide because everyone's trying to serve, you know, a large population. Um, so people, I think if the one, I'm hoping the one thing the pandemic has, has sort of taught people, and it's a very hard lesson for everyone to learn, um, you've got to put something aside for a rainy day. Um, I know it's so hard when people are living gig to gig and paycheck to paycheck, but you just never know what's going to happen, right? No one's invisible, invincible. People get into accidents. They have accidents on the job or they're out riding a bike and they get hit by a car or they trip and fall, whatever it might be, or all of a sudden they're diagnosed with something um, completely unexpected. And it's just so, so important to have a safety net. Um, yep. Even if it's, even if it's, you know, a few dollars a week, if you never plan on using it and you can do that long enough, that eventually will add up to something and it can, uh, it can help. Um, and of course it's easier said than done. Um, I don't think there's a, a person alive today who doesn't say, I wish I had saved more money for mm -hmm. a rainy day, but, Absolutely. um, Absolutely. So I, I, I know I'm asking this question and you may not be prepared for the answer, but I was going to ask, do you know to date? So in the 15 years, you said 2005 is when behind the scenes started mm -hmm. in the 15 years, 
Do you have an idea ballpark of how many grants have been uh, given to I, those in need? I don't have that, but I can tell you that we've given away over a million dollars in grants. Well, that's significant. Yes, <laughs> we thought so. We were we were very happy yep. when we reached that milestone because the grants are quite small. So to have done a million dollars means we've been able over a million. We've been able to help quite a, quite a number of people. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and there's some, if you, again, I'll, I'll post the link for the website in the show notes, but if you go to the types of grants, there is some information in there on what you might expect. So for instance, uh, Lori mentioned the funeral assistance grant. Um, they, on the website, they mentioned, you know, $500 uh, to go towards that. Well, $500, if that's the only type of grants that we're going out, that's quite a few to get to a million so you can kind of see the effect that uh, the organization is having within the industry. Yeah, as I say, we don't really give amounts on the other grants. Um, they are generally more than the 500, but it's it's done on a case-by-case basis. It's really, you know, it's based on need. It's based on where we feel we can, we can help. Um, we don't sort of give out an average grant amount just because it does vary from person to person. Um, right, but uh, you know, it's uh, the review committee is is very conscientious about reviewing the application, reviewing the need of the person. As I say, we ask the individual because they have to provide us since we pay the vendor directly. They have to provide us with the actual copies of the actual bills so we can pay them. And so, you know, what's most pressing for most people? It's usually keeping a roof over their heads. It's keeping their themselves and and their family in their home and you know, keeping, making sure they have utilities. Um, most of, although all the need is caused by medical, most of what we help people with is, um, occupancy, you know, uh, expenses. Right. The, the, the results of the medical condition inhibiting the person from being able to work and bring in their regular income. Exactly. So you talked about the mental health program has is is continuing to be developed. What else is coming down the the pike for behind the scenes? Where where is behind the scenes going tomorrow? Well, I think you know our uh, right now our mission is to fulfill our core mission, of course, of of the financial assistance to those who are ill or injured. Um, but in terms of of you know, the work now and, and really immediate and long-term future, because the mental health initiative is a very long-term program. This is not something you work on for a year or two and then go away from, right? This will be a, an ongoing, uh, long-lasting developing program. And so the steering committee for that is, is you know, looking at where the needs are and, and sort of tackling it item by item. I mentioned we're working on the signs of uh, warning signs of suicide and what to do. We're working on the bullying and harassment right now. We're also working on toolbox talks. Um, we want to give people some information, some language where when you're giving a safety briefing, a toolbox talk, whatever you want to call it, it includes at least a few lines about mental health where to find information, where to go for help. We want that to become a standard part of every toolbox talk, of every safety briefing. Uh, and we'll have uh, some scripts for those. We'll have some sample videos online. 
and we want to encourage everyone to make that a regular part of, of what they do. We'll be looking in the future at uh, training uh, peer mentors who can be their identified people that those who are in, uh, in distress or who are worried about someone else, worried about a friend, a colleague, can go to uh, and seek some assistance. So there's a lot of ideas um, and it's just a matter of uh, time because everyone who is working uh, on that steering committee has a, well, either now or normally has a full-time job. So they're doing this above and beyond uh, their regular work. And uh, so it's a factor of time. It's a factor of really developing uh, a program to where you feel like it's ready to, to roll out uh, to the industry. But uh, we will continue to line up. We have sort of short-term, mid-term, and long-term ideas of, of uh, benefits of tools that we want to to roll out, and we'll continue to to work on that. You know, fundraising is obviously down right now considerably uh, because of the situation. We've lost, you know, one of our major fundraisers of the year with the uh, USITT conference canceling. Um, the Longreach Long Riders, who are a, a big fundraiser for us and have been since the very, very beginning. We owe a great deal to the Longreach Longriders. Um, every year they do a ride to benefit us and they didn't want to let this year go. So they figured out a new way to do it. Instead of having everyone meet in one place and spend 10 days traveling around, they're actually doing a relay ride across the country. And for those of you who know that they have kazoos is a big thing with the long riders they've created a jump yep. zoo that each relay team will be handing off to the next one they're starting on the west coast and they'll end up on the east coast um so uh you know fundraising is a little down we'd love to get people in and supporting the long riders they're a remarkable group of people they pay all of their own expenses every penny they raise goes to charity um, and uh, it's just a bunch of people from all over the country and all over the industry, a great group. So we're very grateful to them. But, you know, obviously we need to, uh, to continue fundraising. Uh, in just a day or two, we'll have this year's holiday cards. A lot of you may know that we have industry designers create special holiday cards for us with the ghost light in them. Uh, Ethan started out talking about the ghost light. Our Tagline is don't leave your colleagues in the dark. And uh, those will be available for sale in a bunch of different formats, card packs, personalized electronically. And we're adding some new options for electronic cards this year. So fundraising is obviously a, a big deal on the list right now because of what's going on. Absolutely. So again, I'm going to mention the website again, behindthescenescharity.org. Um it's a great website. There's a lot of good information there. It's easy to navigate. Um, if you want to donate, there's a donate now button as well as you can shop for uh, products so you can not only support the organization, but help advertise with little things. And that's it's kind of the idea with the, the holiday cards where you can advertise as well as support. I don't know. Is, are, are there other things that we haven't talked about that we should cover? I'm sure I'll think of them when we're done, but um, for now, I think we've pretty well covered, um, you know, that the charity is here to help. And, you know, remember, there's also a very uh, easy uh, uh, 
URL to remember uh, that works as well, which is btshelp.org. Um, you know, tell your friends, tell your colleagues, you know, if you know of someone who's ill or injured in the industry, please make sure they know about behind the scenes. If you know of someone who's struggling with mental health, please make sure they know about behind the scenes. It's so important for people to spread the word because not everyone goes to industry trade shows or reads industry magazines. Uh, and so it's really important to get to those people who, who might not that. have that exposure, exposure with the word that the charity is there to assist. You know, it's funny. Earlier you were speaking and you you had a, 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 a misspoken word where you said nobody is invisible. And then you corrected yourself. <laughs> and I purposely stirred in my head because you were correct in that statement. Yeah. Nobody is invisible as we talk about mental health and everything and what behind the scenes is there for is that no one in our industry needs to be invisible. There are the people there to help. And it's important for us to promote that concept that um, there are resources there to assist people when they need them, which is the overall idea, which is take care of ourselves and and we'll all be doing better afterwards. Absolutely. All right. Well, Laurie, thank you very much for spending time uh, recording this. I know that for my listeners, it's different because we didn't talk about rigging. I will ask the question because if I don't, I am sure I'll get complaints. Yeah. Do you have any good or bad rigging jokes? Oh, I don't. <laughs> and even if I did, I wouldn't say, but I don't. <laughs> Wow. I don't. I've spent a lot of time with riggers over the last 30 years, but uh, I'll let them keep telling the jokes. Yeah. Well, I figured I would ask, and maybe if I think of one, uh, I'll drop it in in post. So, yeah, this is done in post. How can you tell when your truss is level? Droll comes out of both sides of your rigger's mouth. Again, thank you for spending time. I, I appreciate it. You and I have known each other for quite a few years. Um, and the organization has been something that I've tried to support, uh, as I can. Um, I know all too well that it is easy for people in the industry to find themselves in situations that they didn't foresee. So having the safety net, uh, to be there for them, whatever it is, is, uh, a can be a great relief. So thank you for spending the time recording this today, as well as for the work you do with behind the scenes. And I will give you the opportunity to uh, have some last words. Ooh, thank you. Well, thank you very much for having me. Thanks to those who have listened through all this. Uh, really, the last word is that behind the scenes is here to help. Uh, remember that for yourself. Let others know about it who may need the assistance. And uh, we appreciate your support. Thank you very much. Perfect. And thank you, everyone, for listening. And until next time, keep the pin in the shackle. Son, you know your father was a rigger. A rigger was he. Son, the shoes you have to fill are bigger, as big as can be.